Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, Daniel 2, 46. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and the Hebrew boys were promoted. That's, that's quite a contrast. Imagine you were just taken into captivity. You were made a eunuch. You're going through this training. You're given a new name. They're trying to make you eat some weird food. And all of a sudden, you're, <laughs> you're sitting in the king's gate, and your three friends are head over all the affairs of Babylon. That's, that's a pretty good turnaround um, that can only come about if you, will, if you will serve the Lord and be obedient to the Lord. Um, the very king who will set up a golden image to be worshipped in Daniel 3 is now worshipping at the feet of Daniel. That's amazing. The same guy is going to say, you know, I look pretty good. Let's make a golden replica of me <laughs> that's 60 feet tall, and all of you can worship it. How does that sound? Well, who's going to say, that's a stupid idea? <laughs> They're all going to go, oh, King, what a wonderful, you're so brilliant. That's why I couldn't, that's why I couldn't, I would be dead a long time ago in, in, in a time period like this. Like what, don't, don't you think I should make an image of myself that everyone can worship? Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, I think that's a really stupid idea. Throw them in the fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make his house a dunghill, yeah. While this worship of Daniel is improper, Daniel has already informed the king his ability to recall the dream and interpret the dream all came from the one true and living God. Secondarily, Daniel is not necessarily in a position to correct the king. Having just saved his life, as well as the life of the other wise men, now would not be the time to tell the king, get up. <laughs> now, I mean, it would, but, it, but not, not in Daniel's situation. It's not the time. This is where you have to choose your battles. Because I think if it were me, I would be more likely to have told the king, don't do that. I don't think I would be standing there going, 
you know, look at me, the king's bow. I'd be saying they're going, dude, get up. Stop. Like, that's not okay. I'm not God. Right? Now, that probably would have gotten Daniel in serious trouble, would have gotten me in serious trouble, but that's probably the route I would have gone. I just saved my life, and now i got to go be thrown in the lion's den or in the fire. Who knows what they're going to do to me? Uh, but that's, that's why Daniel was the perfect man for this job. This all comes back to the tact and respect we spoke of before. We're often so quick to correct people who do not know any better, and it, and it severs relationships prematurely. This is where you got to be careful. You got to be gracious. You've got to consider, you know, Brother Nianzi recently brought a rap artist into church. <laughs> now, what do you do? Do you rebuke him in front of the whole church and, and, and so correct him, which would have been right to tell him? Or do you just say, he doesn't know any better, just give him time, let him learn, let him figure it out, and then over time, he will learn to make better choices, and Nianzi will learn to screen people better before, <laughs> before letting them come up and rap. <laughs> I'm sorry I missed it. <laughs> But that's, that's, that's what we have here, all right? Nebuchadnezzar is a Gentile king. He doesn't know what he's doing. People come in the church from who knows where they came from, and they get saved, right? Well, just because they got saved doesn't mean they're going to dress like a woman, dress like a man, know all the Baptist standards, know all Baptist doctrine, and, and show up and do everything they're supposed to do and do it right. You don't do that, and you've been around for years. <laughs> so you have to take that into account when you're dealing with people. If that king's bowing down in front of me, I'd be so terrified God's going to strike me dead. I'd be like, get up. <laughs> but the reality is he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand what he's doing. You just won over the king. Give him, a, give him a little time. He just made you one of the most powerful people in the kingdom. You're going to be sitting in his gate. Now you have a relationship with him. Now you have access to him that you did not have before. So be careful. Don't just rip his face off. Are you stupid? Do you not know I'm not a god? No, he doesn't know that. All he knows is he had a dream. It's gone from him. And you showed up the next day and knew the dream and the interpretation. He's like, oh, man, let's, <laughs> let's bow down to this guy. <laughs> That's all he knows. And then after worshiping Daniel, he gets up and says, your God is a God of gods. Well, that's a stupid thing to say. He's not a God of gods. He's God. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that. You've got, you got, you got to measure the situation and say, okay, should this person know better? If they should, rebuke them. If you have no evidence that they should know any better, then teach them. Let me, let me show you something. Let me explain something to you. Let me help you with something. And even then, you got to give them just a little taste. This is the way one guy explained it to me. I, when I got saved, the first year I was saved, 
I read about 100 books about Christianity, about the Bible. I just started devouring. I went from never reading. I don't know if I ever read a full book before I was saved. After I got saved, I wanted to know everything. And I read my Bible, said my Bible, but, but I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was understanding it. So I just started reading every book I could get my hand on. And so I had, I have a very aggressive personality, and then I had a ton of knowledge. That's a bad combination. So I have all this information, and I'm really aggressive. You're going to agree with me whether you like it or not. And that, that was kind of my, it, it didn't go well. And so, um, so what ended up happening is I began to be convicted about it because I was trying to help people. My way of helping them was like putting them in a headlock and forcing what I know down their throat. And that doesn't work. You have to help people. You have to be gracious with people. And there's a time when being aggressive is necessary. You need to. But there's far more time where you need to be careful. You need to go slowly. And so this is the way one guy, one of my friends explained it. He said, imagine a man who's been sitting in a cave for 20 years and he's not seen any light. And then I come in with a flashlight shining it in his face like, hey. (laughs) Sorry. Now, what would happen to that guy's eyes? <laughs> he's going to be like, ah, oh, immediately, he's not going to want to see. Well, that's what I was doing. And that's what we as Baptists often do. We just blast people in the face with light. And then when they're turning their face, trying to, they haven't seen any light. So you got to give them a little bit, let their eyes adjust. Give them a little bit more, let their eyes adjust. Give them a little bit more, let their eyes adjust. And then... Eventually, they reach a point where you can go running in with a flashlight and shine it in their face. But till then, let, their eye, let them acclimate a little bit. Let them come in. Let them learn. Let them see. You know, at our church, I can't tell you how many times at our church back home, you know, women will start coming and they show up in jeans. And they start looking around and <laughs> they're the only one wearing jeans. And then they come again and they're the only one wearing jeans. Well, then they take one of the ladies aside and say, why am I the only one wearing jeans? (laughs) And then one of the ladies very graciously explains to them, well, we believe the Bible teaches that a lady should dress like a lady. And and then she'll say, well, these are ladies jeans. To which we say, if you were with me in India, if you were with me in China and you needed to know what bathroom to go into. Well, you don't read Chinese and you don't read Bengali or whatever Indian language is there. How will you know which restroom to go into? Anybody? There will be a picture and one will be a lady wearing a skirt because even the lost world knows if you want to know what bathroom to go into, you pick the one with the lady that has a skirt if you're a lady and then there'll be one with them wearing pants. Now, if you're wearing pants, which one should you go into? <laughs> All right, so you're sending mixed messages. You can't be a woman wearing man's clothes. Otherwise, according to the sign, you're supposed to be going in the one with the pants. You know, you see the confusion? So, so in the natural world, they know. They don't want you to know that they know. They don't like to admit it, but they know There's a way that men dress. There's a way that women dress. 
anywhere in the, I've been, I've been to, I've been all over the world. I've been to numerous countries around, around Europe, Africa, uh, the Middle East. Um, I've been to Japan. I've been to Taiwan. I've, I've been all over the world, up Malaysia. And it's exactly the same everywhere. The sign on the bathroom is distinctly different. So if they know that, and they're not Christians, in fact, they likely hate Christians. Why don't you know that? So they begin to learn. So the ladies here dress like this. Now, at that point, they've got to make a decision. They don't have to immediately change. But now they know. And it's going to weigh on them. And they're going to want to know, well, I mean, do these ladies want to dress this way? Do they have to dress this way? Who's making them? Nobody's making them do anything. They choose to do it. And so over time, one of two things will happen. That person will say, this is not for me, and they'll go somewhere else. No problem. That's completely up to them. Or they'll say, I, I want to try it. And they'll, they'll change. And they'll start showing up in a dress. They'll start showing up in a skirt. And then this thing you know, they can't ever remember the last time they wore a pair of jeans or dressed in that which pertains to a man. Right? But you've got to give them time. You, you, we don't go up to them with a group of people in the middle of church and say, do you know what you're wearing? Go to the back right now. Someone's waiting there to change your clothes. <laughs> How do you think that's going to go? <laughs> They're going to go to the back, out the door, into the car, and drive away because you people are crazy. They don't understand. And, and that's just a minor thing. That It's with music. It's with, with doctrine. It's, I mean, it's with every aspect of the Christian life. You, can't, you should expect that they don't know and that someone needs to very carefully spend time with them and help them to understand better, right? That, that's discipleship. Discipleship is not sitting down with a piece of paper that has some words written on it and saying, you need to read this and then I'll mark off that you read it, done. That's, that's a minor, minor part of discipleship. Discipleship is spending time with somebody letting them into your home, letting them get to know you, uh, checking on them, investing in their life, and, and being around to the point that w- when the question pops up in their mind, they say, let me call this person who has been there for me as I've been getting to know this church and ask them, why this? Why that? What is this? What is that? How do we do this? How do we do that? And if a person will do that, that's someone who really wants to learn, someone who really wants to know, and someone you should really take the time with. But some of us, including myself, struggle with that more than others. <laughs> uh, people speak in religious terms. They are trying to be respectful, but they don't realize what they are saying is wrong. When my wife and I were in deputation, we would meet People who were Christian-ish will say that. I don't know what you call it. And um, they would find out we're missionaries. And so they would talk to us, and they're excited about it. They're interested in it, but they've never heard of a missionary before and don't know how to talk about it. And so at the end, inevitably, they always say, well, good luck with your mission. I'm not flying to space. What do you mean my mission? Because they heard the word missionary, and so they think, 
it's a, it's, he's going on a mission. Like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> so I <laughs> just, I want to be nice and I want to be encouraging. So good luck with your mission. How about God bless your ministry or, you know, something <laughs> biblical, not, but they don't know. They're, they're, they're trying to be nice. They're trying to participate in the conversation. They just don't know what to say. And so you can't turn around and say, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. You just, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> or I, I, I would often say, oh, thank you so much. Thank you for praying for us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. Yeah, I'll, I can do that. And it's like, it's like it clicks in their mind. Like, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and so praise the Lord. But you, you just... We have to learn to be more patient with people because we get all zealous and we get all excited and, and we get to a point where we want to, we want to rapidly defend what we believe. Well, be ready to do that when the time comes. But someone who just showed up doesn't need you to come over and rip their face off and, and beat them with a stick because they don't know, they don't know what they're doing. They just got there. They need to learn. They need to know. Now, there is a time and place for that. And I think that's one of the reasons the Lord put people like me in the church, because I, I, I don't like those situations. But there are times when people need, they need to have their face ripped off. And it's either going to make them better for it or it's going to make them go out the door. And it might be better if they go out the door. But you need to be careful and determine when those times are. And if that time hasn't arrived, and this is just someone who just showed up and they're just trying to learn, take time with them, show them a little bit at a time. Give them just a little bit of light, let their eyes acclimate. Give them a little bit more light, let their eyes acclimate. I mean, we, we throw people in the river and say, swim! <laughs> oh, he's not swimming, he's not saved. <laughs> it's like, well, he's four! <laughs> he doesn't know how to swim! <laughs> so... Sometimes it's best to let things slide until you have established a relationship that allows that level of friendly, suggestive correction. It's better to implement the relationship first. Now they now that you're someone that they can trust, then you can be a little more direct with them when the time comes. All right. And so so just just work your way into that. Uh, third, the king's testimony was all about Daniel's God and not about Daniel himself. So it's an odd situation because he bows down and he worships Daniel, but then he gets up and praises Daniel's God. And um, so it's, a, it's, an odd, it's an odd admixture of, of Gentile confusion is, is what it is. And if the king's profession is genuine, which it's, it's I maybe mean, read the next chapter... <laughs> Daniel's God, he's a God of gods. By the way, have you worshipped my statue? <laughs> like, uh, what happened between chapter 2 and chapter 3? Now, there, some suggest there's about 20 years between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so you can forget a lot in 20 years. But as far as we know, Daniel has been right by your side the whole time. And you just completely forgot I mean, if it, if it were me, if I was Nebuchadnezzar, I had a dream. The dream's gone from me. 
either you're going to tell me what the dream is or I'm putting all of you to death. And then Daniel shows up and tells me what the dream is. I would say, you're all fired. I'm not going to kill you, but you're all fired. Get out. Daniel can stay. And so then Daniel would have been my sole source of, of advice during that time. But he keeps all the guys around who could do nothing. Why? He's a Gentile. Maybe one day they'll have a good luck charm that he needs. And, you know, one of them can pull out a rabbit's foot and give it to him. And, and you know, who, who knows? It's, it's maddening. The wise men have to be both embarrassed and relieved. They get to keep their lives and their jobs, which I don't understand. But, but they cannot do what Daniel did. I wonder how long it was before they were bold enough to try and give answers to the king. Can you imagine that? Uh, I need you to bring my wise men in. I have a question for them. Mm-mm. I'm not going in there. <laughs> he might ask about another dream. <laughs> Where's Daniel? <laughs> I'll just stand behind Daniel. <laughs> Uh, can you answer this? Daniel can. He's right here. I'll, I'll massage his shoulders. While he... <laughs> Just listen to him. Forget we're here. Daniel received both power and riches. When the Lord blessed Daniel with the dream and interpretation, he not only got to live, but he also made, made one of the top rulers. He was also made one of the top rulers of the kingdom of Babylon. He went from a captive eunuch to great power in a moment of time. And I, it's, it's, I think I can demonstrate it loosely. It's not 100% definitive, but I am, I am sold. It's because Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. He looked at the food set before him and he said, I will, I will eat beans for the next three years before I will defile myself with the king's meat or you'll have to put me to death. And because of that personal discipline, God said, that's a man that I can trust with power. I can trust the king of Babylon to bow at his feet and it won't go to his head. It's discipline. Be where you're supposed to be. Do what you're supposed to do. Do it to the best of your ability all the time. That's Daniel. Where are you supposed to be? What are your responsibilities? Do them well and do them all the time. Don't be caught slacking. Don't, be, don't let your body be your God. Don't be a slow belly. <laughs> don't, be, don't be a Cretan who, who is so given to food and so given to, to, things that, that, to these things that they can't, they can't be trusted. Daniel could say, no, that food, that table of food, imagine what that table of food must have looked like. The king's meat, the king's fruit, the king's vegetables, the king's drinks. I mean, it must have looked like, man, we're going to have a feast tonight. (laughs) And Daniel said, take all that away and just bring us some lentils. And God said, that's a man I can trust. Why? Why? Because he could, he could tell his body, 
I'm bringing you under for the honor and glory of God. I could have all this. Everybody else, it says all the other children ate the king's meat. But Daniel and the other, his three companions, they said, no, just, just give us water and lentils. And God said, these are men I can trust. I think there's a deep connection there. If you're willing to bring your body under control, then it proves to God you're somebody he can trust. If you won't bring your body under control, it makes you dangerous. God can't give you favor and power and, and honor and glory because it'll go to your head. It'll make you a monster. Furthermore, Daniel did not leave his friends and prayer partners behind. He requested that Hananiah, Mishael, and Abednego be elevated along with, along with himself. All right, the Gentile nations. The idea of highly individualized nations began in Genesis 11. Turn there real quick. Genesis 11, let's read verses 1 through 9. Verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us... A name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there, there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And uh, where was this physically located again? In what plain? Shinar. The plain of Shinar, which is the home of Babylon. All right, so this is where, you know, there's, there's a, just a wonderful idea today that we should just come together and be one. <laughs> well, why does that require me to give up all my freedom, liberty, money, land, <laughs> everything? Gender, uh, I mean... <laughs> I got to give up everything to come be one with you because they, they all want to come together and be one without God. And that's what's happening here. And while it sounds like a beautiful idea and they can make it sound so sweet and so wonderful and we'll be a united nations. Well, the United Nations has proven to be quite destructive and harmful. And. This idea that God wants people to come together is not, is not found in the Bible. In fact, any time that it, it begins to happen, 
God comes down and, and separates it. In fact, in this passage, it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting. There's a couple things here. Um, look at verse 3. And they said one to another, go to let us make brick. Um, go down verse 4. And they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower. And then verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. Well, first of all, why did he have to come down to see it? It's just an interesting question. It's very plain in the passage. I'll let you answer it. Verse 6, and the Lord said, now this is really interesting. The people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. Now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to let us. Who said, go to let us in that passage? So this is interesting. The Lord. How many lords are there? One said, let us. Is that plural or is that singular? What is that pointing to? The Trinity. Go to let us. The Lord said, let us go down. And as you read, continue to read the passage, it, it repeatedly tells you it's the, the us is the Lord. <clears throat> People say, well, the Trinity is not in the Old Testament. It's, it's all through the Old Testament. It just doesn't say Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The, the Lord God said, let us make man in our image. Why the plurals? And then what's the summary? In the image of God made he him. So he's not saying us like me and the angels. It says God made man in his image. And when he's talking about it, he says, let us make man in our image. The singular God speaks about himself in, in, a plur, in plural terms. It's because it's, the father, it's, it's John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word made everything. It's, 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 turn to John 1 and look at the detail in the wording. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, it's not part of our lesson, but it's fun to look at. So verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. All right, so that, what, again, what's our cross-reference to in the beginning? Genesis 1.1. Now, nobody argues that the cross-reference there is Genesis 1-1. But then when you say Satan was a murderer from the beginning, they say, oh, that's Genesis 3. <laughs> How? <laughs> okay, then, G- then in the beginning was the word is Genesis 3. You'd say I was crazy because it makes no sense. Anyways, that's not our point here. But in the beginning was the word. Now, l- listen to the wording. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So it's telling you, you have God. And whatever the word is, whoever the word is, he is both God and he is both present. Everybody see that in the grammatical structure. 
We'll let Gross figure this out when he gets to John 1.1 and see how, he, how he's able to. <laughs> because it continues. Listen to the grammatical structure in the next few verses. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning, so it says it again, with God. All right, so it's saying it's a separate person, right? But that separate personality is God. So Father, Word, Holy Ghost, all three, it takes all three to make the one true and living God. Here, here, here's, here's the best explanation I've seen. You have time, right? Time has past, present. Well, not in Luganda. You have past, far past, present, future, far future. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> future. Now, is, is the past time? Which one of these is not time? All three are time. But you can't have a present without a past, and you can't have a past without a future, and you can't have a future without a present and a past. You have to have all three in order to have time. That's the Trinity. That's the Godhead. Now look at verse 3. Now, again, listen to the wording. All things were made by him, right? And... Without him was not anything made that was made. Not only is he the the God who made it, he is also the separate individual, the separate person who helped to make it. That's all built into the grammatical structure of that verse, which is really interesting. And so that's, that's why the wording is the way it is in in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and also in Genesis 11 because there is is one God made up of three persons. You have to have all three in order to have the one true and living God. That God says, let us go down and see what these people are doing. And then when he came down and saw what they were doing, just like in Genesis 18, I have... The cry against Sodom and Gomorrah has come, up, has come up to my ears. I'm going to go down and see if what I have heard is true. And when he saw what was happening in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, what did he do? He destroyed the place. When he came down and saw the tower in the city, or the city and the tower, what did he do? Like that. Everybody sitting in this room. If we all just, if every single one of us started speaking a different language, just all of a sudden, what would we do? Just go home because we can't talk. <laughs> we can't do anything now. And so he, he separated, he, he scattered people across the earth, which is what he told man to do. So, so when he put Adam on the earth, what's the first thing he told Adam to do? Replenish. It's an interesting thing to say if there was nothing there before. Replenish the earth. Not plenish it. Not fill it. I want you to replenish it. Right? What did he tell Noah after the flood of Noah's day? Exact same thing. 
replenish the earth. Right? These people were supposed to be replenishing the earth. They were supposed to be scattering across the earth and filling the earth. And instead, they're joining together and trying to build a city and a tower to heaven without God. And God said, no, we'll put an end to that there. (laughs) Try to talk. (laughs) Try to say, hand me the measuring tape. (laughs) It's, It's over. You can't speak anymore. So they began to spread out, and, and each language found its own place, and, and they began to settle, and, and now you have the different nations. The tower was, of course, in the plains of Shinar, the very place where the people were scattered, thereby creating individual nations with distinct languages, is the same place where the king of kings is given, where a king of kings is given this dream of Gentile powers. It's just an interesting connection. According to God's reckoning, there have been four world powers, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Grecia, and Rome. Then there was a pause in this reckoning when the church age began. Once the church is taken away, the final kingdom represented by the iron and clay will appear. Not long after they appear, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and establish his kingdom on earth. The four kingdoms that have already passed are outlined in Daniel chapters 2, 7, and 8. After the Lord deals with these nations represented by Nebuchadnezzar's dream, then all Gentile powers will be judged at the judgment of nations. All who assisted Israel and uh, and will be allowed to go into the Lord's kingdom. All who harmed or refused to assist Israel will depart into everlasting fire, according to Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46, at the judgment of the nations. All right, notes on Daniel. You can write them down or you can get the audio later. It's up to you. Daniel 2.13, they sought Daniel to be slain. Daniel 2.14, Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. Daniel 2.15, Daniel is informed of the trouble at hand. Daniel 2.16, Daniel went in and desired time from the king. Daniel 2.17, Daniel went into his house. There's two went-ins there, back to back. First he went into the king and, and desired time, and then he went into his house and told his companions. Daniel 2.18, Daniel desired mercies from God. Daniel 2.19, Daniel received the secret in a night vision. Daniel 2.20, Daniel praised the Lord. 2.24, Daniel went in to Arioch. 2.25, Daniel, brought, Daniel was brought before the king. 2.26, the king questioned Daniel's ability. 2.27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king. 246, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and worshiped Daniel. 247, Nebuchadnezzar answered, Daniel, your God is a God of gods. 248, the king made Daniel a great man. 249, Daniel remembered his companions before the king. Everybody get all that? (laughs) Amen. Now, chapter 3 will be easy. 
Who knows how many times Daniel's mentioned in chapter 3? Zero. He is not mentioned in chapter 3, which is interesting. It's, a, it's kind of a controversy. People are like, well, where was Daniel? Daniel must have bowed down. Well, there's, I mean, there's a couple of easy potential explanations. Number one, Daniel was in the king's court. Do you think they were bowing down to an image? you think the people who had the power of the king or really care? Who's going to go and say, Daniel's not bowing down to the king? Daniel would have your head cut off if you wanted to. <laughs> so that, that's possible. Uh, number two, what if Daniel was away for the king? He works for the king. He serves the king. What if the king sent him to, to do something for him? Number four, if Daniel doesn't bow down, who's really going to say something against Daniel? (laughs) So Daniel could have done something about it, but who's going to go to the king and tell the king that Daniel's not doing something that he should be doing? It's just not likely, not likely that anybody's going to be willing to do that. And then number five, it was the three Hebrew boys that they are concerned about. It's, it's not Daniel. It's them. I mean, imagine, all right, so they're put in charge of the affairs of Babylon. Imagine them roaming around Babylon, and then the music sounds, everybody's supposed to fall down, and there's three people still standing. <laughs> well, Daniel's in the king's gate. He's not out in public, out and about, where people, you know, for people to see him. So it's not easy, or it's not hard, it's not hard to find the only three people still standing, <laughs> So, anyways, Daniel 3, let's read verses 1 through 7. We'll talk a little bit about this tonight, and then uh, the next few classes, let's see, we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 classes, and then the final. So the next 5 classes are going to move a lot more quickly. Uh, So we've got 3 chapters to cover in 5 classes. So... might even possibly finish early. Daniel 3, let's read verses 1 through 7. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces... To come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, who believes Nebuchadnezzar set up that image? You see Nebuchadnezzar out there by himself just putting up a 60-foot image. But who gets the credit? He ordered it. He paid for it. He wanted it. He gets the credit. That's, That's the accountability of leadership. God says, all right, okay, King of Kings, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to call you on the floor for this. Verse three, then uh, verse four, then in herald cried aloud to, to you, it is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, 
you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, we know that all people did not. Yeah, but they... But they're doing, but they are doing what they were told. Now, it's, it's funny, you know, the, these instruments, whenever I'm giving my wife a hard time, what do you know what I'm about to say? Uh, whenever I give my wife a hard time, I, I always go up to her and say, you sack butt. <laughs> and so she just laughs. That is an instrument, apparently. So. All right, the golden image. It is estimated that Nebuchadnezzar erected this statue around 23 years after the vision of Daniel 2. The king's proclamation of Daniel 2 was wonderful, but it clearly faded with time. I don't know what it, I don't know, I don't know how to take it. Uh, he said, he, I mean, he called on Daniel's God, but 23 years later, if this is 23 years, I mean, these are estimates. I don't know where they get it from, but um, I don't know if there's a historical, if there's some sort of historical timeline that has been pieced together to try and date this. But um, 23 years later, with Daniel still by his side, he forgot all about it. Has no idea who the God of gods is. He's setting up an image. That or he's he just, the, the other option is we, we talked in detail about being patient with people and, and giving them time and teaching them. Nobody taught him anything. <laughs> he just never learned. And how many times do you see that? How many times have you met someone and you, you start challenging them on their profession of faith and they, they have a proper, they tell you, I'm trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, if that's true, you're saved. Why are you out here drinking? Why are you chasing women? How, how is it possible you're involved in these things, but you have a testimony of salvation in Jesus Christ. They never learned any better. Nobody ever taught them anything. They went to church and people were rolling on the ground laughing and barking like a dog and jumping around and listening to music and they called that worship. Nobody opened the Bible and said, thus saith the Lord. And so they're shallow, they're empty, they, they haven't been built up in the word of God. They're still babes in Christ. They, they never grew. What would happen to a baby if you never gave it the milk it needed? You're going to, if it lives, if the baby lives, you're going you're gonna to badly damage that child. They don't have the nutrients they need to grow and to, and, and, and to build. And, and so it's, it's the same with a spiritual child. If you don't give them the nutrients they need, you shouldn't expect much of them. Now, again, this is where we have a hard time. We say, there's no way he's saved. How is it possible he's saved? The, the, God said the way to be saved is you put your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that's what the Bible says, right? Now, what do we do with somebody who clearly says that's what they did, but their life is a wreck? Either they, they never truly believed, 
or no one went and taught them the Bible. They didn't end up somewhere where they could learn the Word of God and grow and, and be nourished. One of the two is, 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 the, is the answer, and so you've got to be careful and figure out which one it is. Uh, this was a sort of state religion enforced by governmental decree and powers. This is a great picture. I mean, I guess great may not be the word, but, but you'll understand what I mean. As the heads of state are required to pay homage to this, to this great image, it pictures the kings of the nations coming to Christ in the millennial kingdom. He said, every nation, every language, all the sheriffs, all your counselors, all your, all your governmental heads, bring them to, bring them to the, to the uh, you know, Dumar, is that what it was? The uh, Dura. Bring them to Dura, and you're all going to bow down to this image that I've set up. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen in the Millennial Kingdom, not, in, not in necessarily in Dura, but what's going to happen is the, the, the kings of all the nations are going to come to Christ and pay homage to him. It's, it's just a very relevant picture. Of course, the copying of the Lord falls in line with the works of the Antichrist. Nebuchadnezzar is a constant picture of the Antichrist. Um, it is notable that the image was, uh, this is very interesting. All right, so you have this image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. It is 60 feet tall, 6 feet wide. We're not giving the, given the depth. But what if we were to guess what it was? If you were to guess, what do you think it might be? Huh? Six. So what would they give you? Six, six, six. Now, we don't know what the depth was, but, and that's, that's awfully, that's awfully close to somewhere you would not want to be if you knew better. <laughs> um, it is notable the image was 60 cubits tall and 60 cubits wide. So not 60 feet, but 60 cubits. Um, well on its way to the number of man and the mark of the beast. In the Bible, the number for man is always the number six. And then this is said to be the mark of the beast. Um, man was made on what day? The sixth day. Man is to labor six days. All right, so when people say, I'm poor, I don't have money, this is what you ask them. Do you work six days per week? Secondarily. The Bible says that the work day is 12 hours. So do you also work 12 hours per day? If not, why are you here complaining about being poor or not having money? Go get to work. I know it's mean. That's not nice. You should have, you know, you should give them money. Well, the reason they're here is because they have What's that? The reason they're here is because they have mismanaged their money. Why would I give them more money to mismanage? That makes no sense. All right, now, if they want help, 
And this is, what, is where they get mad. They, you know, they say, well, you should help me. You're a Christian. Well, I don't know where you got the idea that Christians are supposed to just turn their money over to you, you know, for, for knowing. You've done, like, where, who are you? You don't even come to church. Like, I don't know who you are. All right, but but uh, let, let's sit down and let's, let's look at your budget and let's talk about what you're doing with your money. I, that's none of your business. You want my money, but it's none of my business what you've been doing with money. You said you have a job. You're getting paid. You're receiving money. Where is it going? It's not going here. I haven't seen you here. You know, I didn't see you at the last missions conference ready to help the gospel get around the world. So what are you doing? And why do you think that hardworking Christians should just turn their money over to you so you can go out and get drunk or do whatever it is? You're, you, you know, my pastor, that he'll say, where were you Saturday night? I mean, what do you mean? You know exactly what I mean. Where were you Saturday night? Well, I was out. Where? At the bar, go ask the bar to give you money. Click. <laughs> See if they'll give you your money back for the, for the alcohol you bought. Look at John 6. This is really interesting. John chapter 6. Let's see, how far back do I want to go? Um, Let's go to 53, verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, how would you take that? (laughs) Uh, Lord, I think I misheard you. (laughs) You're saying to eat you and drink you? That's not what he's saying. Verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye, verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Okay, everybody get a fork. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? That's just... Now look at verse 55. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my, my blood is drink indeed, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. How can you dwell in Christ if you ate him? He can dwell in you for He can dwell in you for a short while. So obviously there's something else to this. He's not telling you to eat him. Um, Verse 57. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so so he hath so that he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. So this is this is the teaching. He's getting into the spiritual aspect to it. It's not a physical thing. He's not telling you to eat him. He's obviously trying to illustrate something spiritual. The same connection he has with the Father, he wants us to have with him. All right, it all happens through him. It doesn't happen when you eat him or drink his blood. If that was the case, where are we going to get that? Anybody got any Jesus blood that we can sit down and drink so we can have eternal life? It makes no sense whatsoever. Right? Verse, um, verse 58. This is that bread which came down from heaven. All right, it's, it's all spiritual. Not as your fathers did eat manna. Now, their fathers, 
They ate physical bread from heaven, correct? Jesus just said, not like that. I am that bread, but don't eat me. Don't come over here and start biting me and (laughs) trying to drink my blood. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) And are dead, that's, that's significant. Did they not eat that physical bread? What did it do for their life? They died. Nothing. He that eateth of of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. How do you think that went over in the synagogue? You're sitting in the synagogue. Now, they get upset. And we're going to look at that. And we're going to see why we're here. They didn't get upset when there was a man with an unclean spirit in there ripping himself and tearing himself. But Jesus comes in and says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Oh, get this man out of here. So the man with the devil can hang out until Jesus comes and and removes the devil. But the Messiah comes and says something you don't like. You're like, get him out of here. Take him off the brow of a a hill and, and put him to death. That makes no sense. That that's the insanity of sin. Verse 60, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this isn't hard saying. Who can hear it? (laughs) I'm struggling with this, Lord. Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he, he said unto them, doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Well, don't do that because we need to eat you. So obviously he's not talking about them. Lord, just lay down on this table and we'll we'll break out the the knives and the forks. And that's obviously not the point. It's a spiritual teaching. How can they eat him and then he will ascend into into heaven? All right. So I know you know that. It's just this passage is a source of a lot of confusion. Entire religions are built on this passage and, and the misapplication of it. Um. So he's going to ascend up where he was before. Verse 63, it is in the spirit, it is the spirit that quickeneth. That's important. So he's talking about you being able to eat something and gain eternal life. What, what do we call that? Salvation, being born again, being quickened. That's Ephesians chapter 2, right? And you hath he quickened who were dead. All right, so all that is done through the Spirit. This is a spiritual teaching. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ and, be, and depending on Jesus Christ. All right, it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's important. That's key. Now, they still don't understand. Let's see what happens. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Verse 65. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him unto him of my father. Now, verse 666. What happens? From that time, many of his disciples went back. And walked no more with him. Isn't that interesting? John chapter 6, verse 66. Men are departing from the Lord. 
because they don't understand what he's saying. That's man. The Lord didn't do what I thought he would do. Well, <laughs> did he say he would do that? A lot of people get upset and they, and they hold the Lord accountable for things that they imagined he would do but never said he would do. Or they misunderstood what he said, like eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, this is, that's too much for me. I'm sorry, I'm leaving. But if you can get past the flesh, do you see the, the, the beautiful imagery here? That battle between the flesh and the spirit. He's giving them spiritual teaching and they're saying, you want me to do what? You want me to eat you? You want me to, you, like, you want me to drink your blood? <laughs> No, that's not what he's saying at all. He wants you to depend upon him the way he depends on the Father. That's the teaching. It's the spirit that quickeneth. He wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to have this spiritual life. Now, if you can get past the flesh and trust in the Lord and, and gain this spiritual aspect, look, look, look at verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. At least Peter seemed to understand. All right, now, if he didn't understand fully, he, understand, he understood enough to know this was, this, was not a, this was not literal instruction to go and eat Jesus. Lord, you're, you're, you have the words of eternal life. What you're saying is related to eternal life. Where else would we go? Would you go to Muhammad to get eternal life? Muhammad's dead. How do you get eternal life from a dead man? Would you go to the Pope? Well, which dead Pope would you go to? The one, the one who's alive today is, is dead while he liveth. <laughs> if he doesn't trust in Jesus Christ, he's going to, the wrath of God abideth upon him. How can you go to that man for life? You go to Jesus for life. That's your only option. You don't go to dead men for life. You go to the one who faced death head on, went into the grave for three days and three nights, and then walked out like it was, like it was no issue. That's the one you want to trust in for, for life. That's the one you want to trust in for eternal life. This all foreshadows the image of the beast that will be set up in the temple it will be given life and power to speak. All who fail to worship the beast will be put to death, just as, Nebuchadnezzar, just as in Nebuchadnezzar's day. Revelation 20, verse 4, and Revelation 13, verses 13 through 18, detail that info. We will look at all that more next time. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.